Do you have an intro or not? Oh, no, I forgot all about the intro. <laughs> I do happen to have one, so that is good. Okay, good. I completely forgot about the intro. Have you followed what's going on in Kazakhstan? I did turn on the news this morning because it's the first time that I got in my car in the morning for about three weeks. And I did. No, that was the Russia and Ukraine. Well, this one somewhat involves Russia again because Kazakhstan is a satellite state of Russia was part of the USSR. Ukraine's paying close attention to what's going on here too. Basically, gas prices in Kazakhstan have been seeing a higher than normal rate and it has driven a lot of the populace to rebellion. This happened early last week, basically right after the new year. That would be like week of January 3 to 10th, somewhere in that range. Okay. So a lot of people took to the streets, they started messing with things, they broke into gun shops, and a lot of police actually joined the rebellion, and, and military individuals joined it as well. How bad is it? I'm going to read a quick article on The Guardian. You guys an idea of what's going on here? Unrest in Kazakhstan is continuing, and the president, Kasim Jomart, I do not speak any Kazaki, so I cannot guarantee I'm pronouncing this in any way correctly. Kasim Jomart Tokayev has called on a Moscow-led security alliance to provide peacekeeping troops to help him regain control. With a mobile reception and internet blackout across much of the country, reliable figures on casualties are hard to come by, but there have been violent clashes in Almaty and other cities. Tokayev has promised a ruthless crackdown and blamed terrorists trained abroad for the violence. The protests started at the weekend and were sparked by rising fuel prices in the west of the country. They quickly spread to encompass other regions and turned into a general protest against corruption, poverty, and inequality within the country. Protesters are angry with Tokayev and benefactor Nursultan or Nursultan Nazarbayev, who ruled Kazakhstan between independence 1991 to 2019. And he's still somewhat involved in the country. So it has sprung to that. It was huge. And the government had ordered a shoot on sight for the military. Some people were stepping down, some work from the military and joining the rebellion. I saw an update from January 9th on Al Jazeera. So far, they have confirmed 160 people have been killed and 5,000 people have been arrested during the riots. How high are the gas prices? I have not found anywhere how high the gas prices are. It was just like something that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it's kind of like historians will say bread prices are what brought about the French Revolution. Yeah. It's okay. just when things hit a certain point, people get really pissed off. Okay, I can get that. So it's not like they're seeing a buck 80 a liter or something like that. Hell, I believe Kazakhstan's got its own oil, so it's probably like 60 cents a liter or something like that. I couldn't tell you. One second here. But as this was all coming down... It was crazy to see reports of like the police turning over their weapons to the rebels to help them out. People raiding gun shops and just taking what they could and military individuals stepping down and private jets just fleeing the country en masse with all the upper class people just getting the hell away from it. Yike. Price of 95 octane gasoline is 203.8 Kazakhstan tenges per liter, which is about 47 cents a liter. So I'm not that far off. Hmm. You're not. That's not that bad. Do we rebel? But then there might be a garage. Yeah. But something we'll keep an eye on. At the very least, we'll talk about it in late December of this year. We'll update you. And from there, I think we've got a good episode in store. So let's just get right to it. From the unexplained to the mundane. 
Come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe. If you are here for directions to your local fringe festival, I am sorry to say you are in the wrong place, but we can still help you out with fringe topics. I am one of your podcast hosts today, Taylor, here along with Chelsea. The tourism industry has seen much change over the last 50 years from your parents, grandparents and great grandparents getting on a plane maybe to go visit Hawaii and or Mexico. Or take the Titanic from Southampton over. That yeah. That didn't make it all the way. <laughs> I don't know how many people have relatives on that. But anyhow. <laughs> no longer can a family be satiated by getting in the station wagon and driving over to the nearby exhibitions or next town over. People need attractions. People need exotic. People need to do this all on a budget. Hence the rise of the cruise industry, which has seen its revenues absolutely explode over the last two decades, being the only portion of the travel industry during the 2008 recession to actually see a profit. People love the convenience of it, having everything included, and seeing many locales on their travels. I do love it. And comparatively to a vacation sitting in one place, it is relatively cheap which has drawn many people towards this. Probably not surprising, there are many dirty business practices within this industry that allows them to keep up its persona and its prices and attract people to its locales. I will include a trigger warning at this point as we may bring up sexual assaults later on in the episode. Viewer discretion is advised, but today we are going to talk about the underbelly or below the deck of the cruise industry. We're going to start off by talking about legal loopholes that they follow. We're going to follow that up by talking about the employment issues that are faced within this industry. Next to crimes, finish it off with the environmental impact of cruises. This will be a heavy topic. You don't have to wear a seatbelt on this one because cruises do not need them. They move the luxury pace unless there's a rogue wave <laughs> sorry to break that to you here <laughs> in which case there's still no seatbelt there's still no seatbelt <laughs> so hold on to something <laughs> it's like bolted down i'm going to start us off here with an application for a trademark applied for by the royal caribbean cruise line in April of 2021 they applied for a trademark america's cruise line quote unquote, and quote, America's favorite cruise line, unquote, emphasis added by me. I found that very laughable, mostly because they don't have a great connection to the US anymore. But on the other hand, isn't that just the American way of business at this point? Having no connection to the US. Yes, so that they can make <laughs> okay. further money. Oh, yes. Okay, I get where you're going yes. with this. Now, with many companies actually having their headquarters in Miami, it may surprise you that there is, in fact, only one cruise ship in the entire world that is actually registered in the United States. The rest are registered in very well-known and prominent maritime countries such as Liberia, Panama, the Bahamas, Bermuda, 
and Malta. What one is registered to the United States? That is the spirit of the United States. I'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Most of these companies have absolutely no connection to these countries in any way. Why exactly do they have the ships registered there? Well, there are two different types of ship registries in the world. There are what's known as open registrations and closed registrations. Closed registrations require you to have some sort of business connection to the country at which you're registering, which would either be the ship is constructed within that country or you have some sort of business headquarters in that country. And then there are open registrations. Now, the reason open registrations do not require you to have any connection at all to that country for you to register your boat. Why is this important? Wherever you register your boat is the laws that you will have to follow while you're out at sea, while you're imported other countries or in international waters. It is also the country at which you will pay taxes on your ship. Instead of registering in the U.S., major cruise lines register their ships in another country, often in the developing world. This is called a flag of convenience, which is a contentious maritime industry practice allowing vessel owners to avoid regulation and taxes and reduce labor costs by hiring cheaper foreign mariners, often with questionable credentials. Oh, they all have to go by maritime law. Well, they do... But there's maritime law. I mean, law. they're ships. Not, they don't have to go by it, but maritime law applies. Somewhat. There's no real maritime law for personal individuals, especially those on board of the ships. For intents and purposes, while it's at sea, unless it's having to do with two ships interactions, it is just that country's laws that apply to it. Okay. That is for the people on board. That is for the employees on board. That is for the revenue that is generated on board. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. The flags of convenience require you to fly the flag of the country on the ship from where it's registered. I find this hilarious. Chelsea, have you ever seen the Liberian flag? No, maybe. Look it up. Is that a United States flag? <laughs> I fully believe that they drafted the Liberian flag. As, hey, let's pretend that we are the United States flag for ease in shipping and people thinking that it's just an American flag. Just one star instead of 50? Is that what the state Because they have to fly it. It's fairly far away from you. It, it looks exactly like an American flag, except there is one star where the 50 stars should be. Most Americans might not be able to tell the difference. Why Liberia, though? I don't know if you know where Liberia is. It is on the West Coast of Africa, just above the Ivory Coast or Côte d'Ivoire. I can't remember. It's French. Ivory Coast, right below Sierra Leone. I thought that's where pirates come from. You're thinking of Somalia. That's the other side. That's the Horn of Africa. Okay. I thought we were about to have a crossover. <laughs> Around the end of World War II, Edward R. Stettinius Jr. was heading home from Europe and he made a stop in Liberia. He saw it was poor, underdeveloped, rich in natural resources, and he decided he wanted to get American business to invest. Stettinius knew a lot of people in big American corporations and he heard them saying, we want to have a new country where we can easily register our ships. A new flag of convenience. Stettinius thought, Liberia, it's perfect. Not only was the law designed to help American businesses, it was set up to be run from an office in the U.S. and managed by Americans. By the late 1960s, Liberia was the largest registry in the world. It's second place today right behind Panama now. This has to do with several civil wars that took place. There is a dictator in place now, I believe his name is Charles Taylor. Since that happened, most cruise ships have actually left this flag of convenience to move over to Panama and the Bahamas. 
But to this day, funds from registering ships continue to supply 70% of its total government revenue. After the Civil War, 1990, Liberia joined the Republic of the Marshall Islands to develop new maritime and corporate program. The resulting company, International Registries, was formed as a parent company and in 1993 was bought out by its management. After taking over the Liberian government, American Liberian warlord Charles Taylor signed a new registry contract with Liberian International Ship and Corporate Registry, commonly known as LISCR, which is one of the few legal sources of income for Taylor's regime. Liberia's registry is operated from Virginia in the United States. This is all very confusing. Yeah, it's a lot like our Panama Papers episode in that um, all the laws are being written in the United States. That's what I was thinking. Basically, they're just saying that for all intents and purposes, we're in our country, the US or Canada or wherever it is. But legally, the ship is from this country and it flies its flag. And we follow these laws. And we pay taxes there on this ship. I was looking at registration in Liberia. It's 10 cents per ton per year, which on the world's largest cruise ship, which is 280,000 tons, it would have been $28,000 a year. Is that a deal? That's a pretty good deal, considering you're not paying taxes. Okay, that's a smoking deal. Okay. And you're getting other benefits on top of that. Of course, that was just looking at their, their rates. I'm sure there's other things taken into account, but that's what I could find. Okay, that wasn't an advertisement for flying a flag of Liberia for your ship, by the way. They didn't pay it. And that is just, that's the biggest thing right there, is you're not worrying about taxes at that point on any revenue coming from your cruise ship. I don't think I have to put a disclaimer on this episode, like I did on the Panama Papers, just because I don't think anybody who listens to us is in a position to transfer the flag on their cruise ship to Liberia to get around American taxes. Better do it just in case. Again, don't take legal advice from us. We got a lawyer. (laughs) Now, again, a big part of this is the tax haven status that it allows. But there's another legal requirement that's gotten around this way, too. And that is employment standards. Ship owners often register their ships under a foreign flag in order to employ seafarers from developing countries with lower wages. The Philippines and China supply a large percentage of maritime labor in general and major flags of convenience in particular. In 2009, the flag states employing the highest number of expat Filipino seafarers were Panama, the Bahamas, Liberia, and the Marshall Islands. That year, 2009, more than 150,000 Filipino sailors were employed by these four flags of convenience. And I've seen it upwards as about 400,000 today. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And their contracts depend on the labor laws where the company is registered. Since the 2006 court ruling, workers haven't been able to file any claims in U.S. courts. Instead, their contracts say they must resolve issues through a private arbitrator paid for by the cruise line and based outside the U.S., In the last decade, the cruise industry spent over $31 million lobbying the U.S. government and several legislators to avoid federal tax and employment regulation. Cruise lines utilizing foreign flagships may argue the question of mariner competency is moot. This is a big thing that people bring up is when you're using these foreigners and paying them next to nothing, they're not going to be competent mariners. And really all they're looking for is the cheapest workers. Yeah, it sounds like it. Cruise lines utilizing foreign flagships may argue that the question of mariner competency is moot with the advent of International Maritime Organization's International Convention of Standards of Training, Certification, and Watchkeeping. What these same FOC cruise lines will not tell you is that each flag state has the ultimate authority to administer, certify, and enforce this regulation, STCW. 
as such a flag state with limited resources may not have the training assets or personnel to ensure proper maritime certification. Complicating matters further, many of these foreign flag states are ripe for corruption and graft. Together, these raise questions about the training and skills of mariners working on foreign flagged cruise ships. And just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here for what people are paid on these ships, a 2006 statistic on the International Labor Organization gave an average yearly earning for Filipino and Chinese able seamen, somewhere around $2,000 per year. What? These guys are working upwards of 70 to 90 hours a week. They're making nothing. Cruise ship employees work over 70 hours a week with no rest days or paid vacations. If they suffer any mishaps, they are not protected under the United States justice system. That's messed up. This is a strange story. Matt and Susan Davis were on their way to dinner during their last night aboard the Carnival Ecstasy when they stumbled upon a shocking scene. Blood was dripping down the door of the cruise ship's 10th floor elevator. They took out their cell phones and recorded it. In the video, dated December 27th, 2015, a female employee can be heard asking guests to leave the area. 45 minutes later, the elevator was fenced off behind a floor sign that read, sorry, I'm not working at the moment. Jose Sandoval Opazo, the Chilean-Italian head of maintenance, had been repairing the elevator when it was suddenly activated. The 66-year-old man who had worked for Carnival for 17 years, was only two months away from retirement, died of brain and skull trauma, according to the family's lawyer, Julio Ayala. Because the Carnival ecstasy vessel is registered in Panama and operates on the Panamanian flag, Sandoval Opazo was subject to that country's labor laws, which afforded him fewer protections than U.S laws would. After his death, his family ended up agreeing to an out-of-court settlement with the cruise line. This case demonstrates something which is sadly common because it happens seven days a week aboard ships. Cruise lines say that since they have foreign flags, they are not subject to the regulations of the United States. On paper, cruise ship employees are protected by a U.S. Marine law called the Jones Act, but for a decade, workers haven't been able to file any claims in the U.S. Instead, in the terms of their contract with major cruise lines, dictate that they must resolve their issues through a private arbitrator, one that's accepted by both parties, paid for by the cruise line, and based outside the u.s what i saw so many stories about people working upwards of 90 hours a week no days off and they make anywhere from fifteen hundred dollars a month to fifty dollars a month plus tips oh my god that's kind of messed up though that if they do anything they have to get a lawyer paid for by the cruise line the lawyer's not paid for by the cruise line the arbitrator's paid for by the cruise line it's an arbitrator the arbitrator's basically a private judge what yeah that's even worse yeah so they're just paying for a judge you would have to buy your own lawyer and if the cruise line is a hundred percent paying for the arbitrator that means that the arbitrator has to worry you're gonna rule in their favor not necessarily rule in their favor but they personally will likely take into consideration the fact that if they don't do what the paying party wants they aren't as likely to get asked back that's crazy how is that legal because they're based in another country yeah okay they're saving a ton of money not only on taxes they're saving it by paying their employees next to nothing they do not have to worry about worker safety because again these laws don't apply at sea because they are flying under the panamanian flag or the liberian flag or the bahamas flag that's so bad okay this is worse than i thought the flag of convenience ships have long been linked to crime as well on the high seas 
And in fact, in 1982, Honduras shut down its open registry operations because it had enabled, quote, illegal traffic of all kinds and had given Honduras a bad name, unquote. I found stories of North Korea being a flag of convenience and then immediately switching itself to flags from Tuvalu, which I have no idea where that is. But basically, they were importing heroin to Australia under a, a North Korean flag, and then they decided to switch flags so that they couldn't be caught. It's in Oceania. Oh, okay. So it's near Australia. Interesting. Yeah. And this is illegal activity from open registration and open registration legislation for flags of convenience do not just apply to cruise lines. They apply to all shipping types. They apply to fisheries, they apply to shipping companies, they apply to cruise ships and any other types of ships I can't think of off the top of my head. But we are just focusing on cruise ships at this point. Yeah. When we talk about the legal loopholes, we also need to talk about actual crime. Chelsea's going to talk about environmental crime at a later point, but I am going to talk about criminal activities with regards to bodily harm and theft property harm. When cruise ships dock somewhere or within 12 miles of a country, nautical miles, I should say, they technically fall under the criminal law or the criminal code of that country. So anything that happens at that point is under the jurisdiction of the country that it's either docked at or within the 12 mile vicinity of. Okay. When it's... That gives me a little peace of mind. Well, depending on what countries it's actually going to. True. You want to go to legally sound countries if you take a cruise after this. When it's on international waters, it has to abide by the criminal code or the criminal code of the country it's registered at applies. There is no criminal code that applies to international waters necessarily on its own. And this can make actually filing a police report or a criminal complaint against a party very difficult. A reported sexual assault case aboard a Mediterranean cruise ship highlighted this legal ambiguity when a Spanish judge released a detained suspect after the ship docked in Valencia. The judge declared that Spain had no jurisdiction in the case because the alleged crime was said to have taken place in international waters, according to a report by the Spanish newspaper Levante. With the question, if Spain cannot prosecute, then which country can? There's no cut and dried rule, said Frederick Kenny, the director of legal affairs and external relations for the International Maritime Organization, a United Nations agency responsible for global shipping safety. There is no international law that covers the situation at the moment, he said. A lot of the time, when anything happens in international waters, it is the duty of the staff and crew to take actions to mitigate damage, preserve evidence, and to ensure that people are brought to justice, or not justice, but at least dealt with at the next port or reported to the proper authorities. This duty is counterintuitive to an industry that is entirely based on PR and making sure that you look like a fun and suitable place for a family to be. But if they reported someone at the next port of call, that even do anything? Because then it's not their jurisdiction. And that's part of it too. Like maybe they get discharged that port to be perfectly frank outside of steps that the u.s has taken in the last 10 years it's hard to find a lot of information about this and i do think it is because if crime happens on a cruise ship their first action is to downplay it and keep it quiet i don't want you to know that there's nothing to deal with any crime when you're in international waters that is at least my perception of this after reading so many stories if you wish to read some 
some of these stories of people who have had crimes committed against them on cruise ships. There is a website called internationalcruisevictims.org. Many stories as well as discussion on crimes that happen abroad or on, on cruise ships. Most people that have stories on there, I was going to read a couple, but they are long. They would take a long time to go over. So I'm just going to leave. Take a look at these on your own time if you would like. Internationalcruisevictims.org. Under victim stories, they have it broken down by different categories, sexual assaults, deaths, missing persons, overboard incidents. But whenever anybody talks to staff about an issue with crime, they are met with people trying to keep it quiet so that other people don't hear that a crime was committed aboard, and then trying to dismiss the complaint. Keep in mind, there is no police organization on cruise ships. It is just whatever staff happened to be around at the time. Maybe they have security, but maybe they're not there. They do have a jail cell. They do have a brig, yes. There can be upwards of 10,000 people on these cruise ships. So it is, it's a small town of people on this boat that doesn't have a police organization. Now, there were laws passed in the United States that required any vessels that go through a port of the U.S. needs to keep records of any crimes committed on board. And they, to their credit, at least, they have been reporting these at least somewhat. And I actually had the numbers from last quarter of 2020. Do you want to guess how many crimes were committed? Last quarter of 2020. I'm going to go with none because I don't think they were operating. Yeah, there were none. <laughs> <laughs> in third quarter of 2019 which is kind of the last like normal cruise season i think you could kind of go with there were 46 reported sexual assaults that is the biggest category of everything that is reported is sexual assaults on cruise ships the biggest one being carnival cruise lines who had 28 reported against them but they did bring up a good point the data that is collected for crimes committed on cruise ships only collects data on cruise ships that have a port in the U.S. Oh. And Carnival is the biggest cruise line out of the U.S. Therefore, they are likely to have the most against them. Interesting. I could not find any information. There are fines upwards of $25,000 per action for not reporting these crimes, but I could not find a single piece of information. And sorry, this is the Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act that was put in place in 2010. I could not find a single piece of evidence online that anybody had ever been fined or in trouble for not reporting crimes. And all the stories that I was reading, again, are people who had been told basically, don't worry about it, there's nothing we can do about this. Let's not bring it anywhere. I don't even know what one could do even if you didn't accept that. Thankfully, if you're an American, any crimes that happen on a cruise ship can be reported to the FBI, regardless of if it happened in U.S. waters. Any U.S. nationals have the protection of the FBI while on cruise ships. Okay. If you learn anything from this, please make it that. If a crime is committed against you on a cruise ship and you're American, report it to the FBI. If you're anybody else it becomes really tricky to figure out. As Canadians, we don't have that luxury. Basically, the best thing you can do is report it to the authorities in the port that you're nearest to when you get there. If not, talk to a lawyer when you get home, see what you can do in your jurisdiction. And regardless of all that, always check with a lawyer in your area to see what you can and should. The biggest categories that they're collecting information on under the Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act are homicides, deaths, suspicious, missing U.S. nationals, kidnapping, assaults with serious bodily injury, firing or tampering with vessel 
theft greater than $10,000 in sexual assault. And before this, and in any other jurisdiction, none of this information is collected. So nobody really knows how bad it is. We are forced to do anecdotal evidence on this. If we're just looking at this report tool to say what the actual rate is, what was it, 28 per quarter? That's about 100. Well, let's just say there's 100 sexual assaults reported per year. And that's way higher than it actually is because that was a particularly high year. Carnival Cruise in 2019 had 12.9 million passengers on its ship. So if they only had 100 sexual assaults per 12.9 million, that's one for every about one per every 129,000 passengers, which is ridiculously low for there Maybe. being no support <laughs> staff to actually do anything. And it for being, let's face it, drunk people on a boat. Uh, what else did I want to say here? Yeah. Eventually, the U.S. got around to passing the Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act. Under United States law, the FBI can choose to investigate cases involving American citizens, even when the cruise ship did not dock in the United States ports. The law provides passengers with the right to call the FBI directly. Passengers usually don't realize this. They have no idea. Even when the United States has asserted jurisdiction, there are many questions about what happens next. We had so many discussions with the FBI and Coast Guard once a crime's occurred, said Jamie Barnett, the president of International Cruise Victims Association. If I spoke to 100 different FBI field agents, I would get 100 different responses as to what would happen after a report. It is very murky. And citizens of countries that do not assert jurisdiction have less recourse. I wish I had more information. It's hard to come by the actual rates of crimes on cruise ships. These are multi-billion dollar companies who are trying to keep their image as happy and family friendly. So they are trying to keep this downplayed. All I can tell you is that I do believe it's underreported and be aware. Yes, I wouldn't suspect that it would be easy information to find. But with that, I think we've talked enough about all of this legality. Let's talk about some environmental impact. Yes. I just wanted to start with a fun fact to start this all off with. Did you know that by taking a cruise, each passenger's carbon footprint triples in size in relation to the emissions produced just in general living your life? Yes, it does. But it doesn't stop there. So with that, here are some sources of pollution that come from cruise ships. The first one being sewage, which is human waste. The second being gray water, which is wastewater from sinks, showers, galleys, and laundry, which may contain or do contain detergents, cleaners, oil and grease, metals, pesticides, and medical waste. The next is oil and bilge water, which is fuel, oil, oily water, onboard spills collected in the bilge located in the bottom of the cruise ship's hull, hazardous wastes, which are toxic chemical waste from dry cleaning, photo processing. Yes, cruise ships have large photo processing centers because they want to sell you those photos of you getting off the cruise ship in whatever port of call you are. Just while I was doing my research, they make 24% of their revenue selling you add-ons once you get on the ship. So that's just one of those things that's that super important to have it, it ready so that you can buy that memory that you normally wouldn't of you and your family having a great time doing God knows what. <laughs> yeah. Hazardous waste also include batteries, fluorescent lamps, and other hazardous waste that could be out there. Solid waste, which is plastic, paper, wood, cardboard, food waste, cans or glass, just general garbage. And then finally, air pollution. I'm sure we could come up with more ways that they pollute. According to the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, a 3,000 passenger cruise ship generates the following amount of waste that I just talked about. 
Keep in mind, the mega cruise ships carry much more people than 3,000. It can be about triple that size. Yeah, this is one cruise ship. One million gallons of gray water, which is the wastewater from sink showers, whatever, galleys, oil, everything. 21,000 gallons of sewage, 25,000 gallons of oily bilge water, over 100 gallons of hazardous or toxic waste, 50 tons of garbage and solid waste. Diesel exhaust emissions and ultrafine particles similar to levels in highly polluted urban areas. The cruise ship industry is responsible for a continuously increasing impact on the environment as well as health and well-being of both humans and animals. A review published in Marine Pollution Bulletin finds that cruising is a major source of environmental pollution and degradation with air, water, soil, fragile habitats, and areas and wildlife affected. First, I'm going to talk about pollution. Cruise ships are referred to as floating cities and contribute as much pollution as a city. Available research suggests that a large cruise ship can have a carbon footprint greater than 1 million cars. So, for example, passengers on an Antarctic cruise can produce as much CO2 emissions while on an average seven-day voyage as the average European in a year, which is pretty scary being that Antarctic is pretty untouched, but you bring people in on cruise ships and that just blows it all to hell. Yeah. Within the Mediterranean, cruise and ferry ship CO2 emissions are estimated to be up to 10% of all ship emissions and are providing about 10% of those port cities pollution there. Traditionally, ships use diesel engine. Traditionally, ships use diesel engines, gas turbines, or a combination of both. Diesel fuel is linked to pollution as it produces nitrogen oxide emissions, which have been linked to respiratory disease and lung cancer. The high sulfur content of the fuels are also harmful to the environment since sulfur when mixed with water and air forms sulfuric acid, which is the main component of acid rain. And acid rain can cause deforestation, it destroys aquatic life, and corrodes building materials. Recently, the International Maritime Organization, the IMO, announced that all vessels must switch to cleaner fuel with a lower sulfur content by 2020. However, However, instead of paying for more expensive but less sulfuric fuel, such as liquefied natural gas, ships are installing emission cheat systems called scrubbers. A scrubber allows a ship to wash cheat fuel and meet these requirements. Then they discharge the pollutants from the cheat fuel into the ocean, which would otherwise be illegal to dump anywhere on land. It is less expensive after all, so why not? A 2007 study found that the emission factor Factors for a cruise ship journeying to New Zealand were at least three times higher than emission factors related to international aviation. Something to think about there. And energy use for staying overnight on a cruise ship versus overnight in a land-based hotel is 12 times larger because these cruise ships never turn off their engines because they have to give power to the whole entire ship for obviously your whole trip. So they're pretty much just constantly constantly running all this crap. Lest they can't make a profit off the casino. Exactly. The casino must always be running in international waters. Yes. So I'm sure by now you're wondering what the regulation is for this and all the pollution being dumped everywhere, basically for us to be surrounded by, I guess. As far as emissions go, the waste streams generated by cruise ships 
are governed by a number of international protocols, especially MARPOL and U.S. domestic laws, including the Clean Water Act and the Act to Prevent Pollution, regulations and standards. But there is no single law or rule. So basically, it comes down to each country the cruise ship is entering, which varies greatly. And in international waters, there's nothing. Even in Canada, we don't, I found this hard to believe, actually. In Canada, we don't have adequate laws to protect us against cruise ship pollution because we don't do any inspecting, monitoring, or enforcement of any sort which, yeah, shocking. You would think having some of the natural beauty that we have that we're not doing anything to preserve it from cruise ships because we're quite a popular cruise destination. Yeah, just to add why we're a popular cruise destination. First off, the reason a lot of countries or cities especially allow cruises to dock is because of the profit generated by 10,000 people coming into your city for a day or two. Uh, They say it's the economic benefit of allowing a ship of that size to dock in your area. What they don't really talk about is that environmental impact. The reason Vancouver is a very popular port for cruise ships is because a ship sailing from one U.S. port to another U.S. port has to be registered in the U.S. All Alaskan cruises stop before they go to Alaska in Vancouver so that they can get over that and continue their flag of convenience status. Yes, and during the end of last year, the U.S. actually applied to overwrite that because Canada still wasn't allowing cruise ships. So they were operating without... They would go right from Seattle to uh, Alaska. Yeah, and Canada does have the inside passage. That's not the United States. Oh, between Vancouver and Victoria? Yeah, which is going up to Alaska. So that any cruise ship would have to go around Vancouver Island, and the waves get pretty bad out that way. Do they? Well, they can. That's where Tofino is. Oh, I guess Inside Passage is protected, too. The funny thing I found about all of this in regards to the cruise industry and just regular human things and countries and stuff, I'd say corporations as well however i know that they're held to completely untouchable standards you look at countries that go to like the g20 summit and talk about making changes to address major issues related to the global economy such as international financial stability climate change is a huge topic there sustainable development and lowering co2 emissions single plastic use, etc. By the way, none of it's actually fast enough to properly address the trouble we're in, but they're putting face that they're doing something, kind of, but that's neither here nor there for this episode. But with the cruise industry, which is also obviously a large, untouchable corporation, there's no international or global monitoring as I said previously, and there's only a minor call for any regulation, mostly by environmentalists, it's minimal compared to the outrage that people should be having about this. Money speaks louder, obviously, and that's what's going to sustain the industry from continuing to operate that way. So long as they're being fed the money, they don't have to change. Obviously, it's something we need for many reasons, including its devastating effect on the environment and our oceans. And it seems that without any regulation, the cruise lines will continue to find ways around pretty much all of their issues. So next one I'm going to touch on quickly is sewage. If you'll recall, a 3000 person cruise ship generates 
210,000 gallons of sewage weekly. All cruise ships, sewage goes through what is called sewage treatment, where solid and liquid waste is separated and sterilized, and then the solid is incinerated and the liquid is released back into the ocean. Apparently, it's just like clean water. I don't know. Would you drink it? <laughs> I've watched a few videos where they said these guys are all saying it is nice and natural, and environmental groups are saying, yeah, we don't really believe you. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see them drink it if they were so confident. In 2016, Princess Cruises was fined $40 million for polluting the ocean by dumping 4,227 gallons of oily waste off the coast of Britain. And the list goes on of just cruises dumping it wherever they want, even if a country does have regulations. Other cruise lines have been charged with unauthorized discharge of untreated gray water or a stream of sewage that comes from everywhere but the toilet. I mean, what are you going to do to a cruise line that just has unlimited funds to pay these fines? They don't really care. They're worth so much, so much money. Not to mention, but sometimes it just happens accidentally, not only where it is illegal to do so, but also in protected waters such as Alaska and cruise lines minimal fines. Like I said, it's no skin off their back. With all that being said, if they're in international waters, they legally can dump sewage straight into the ocean without treating it in any way like they apparently do by cleaning it. And the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, estimates that a single 3,000 person cruise pumps 150,000 gallons of sewage into the ocean per week. That's more than 1 billion gallons per year. Yeah, and these ships are running year round. It's not like once the vacation done it just sits yeah it just loads back up and goes again and then those people poop and then they need to dump it somewhere sewage is gross obviously but what's the big deal i know i was thinking it like they use cow fertilizer for places and it's good for farmland ocean's a big spot yeah Gray water can lead to the spread of pathogenic bacteria and viruses and increase nutrient levels in the surrounding ecosystem. Sounds good, right? This leads to massive increases of concentrated nitrogen and phosphorus and causes toxic algal blooms, which removes oxygen from the water and creates dead zones, suffocating fish, crustaceans, coral reefs, and basically any marine life that could live in that I know they're underwater, but they do need oxygen in the water to be able to breathe and live. And in just one year, the cruise industry contributes to 1 billion gallons of sewage dumped into the ocean, and it's growing as the cruise industry grows. So does the sewage that it dumps into the ocean, whether it's cleaned or not. Total amount of garbage produced by a cruise ship carrying 2,700 passengers can exceed a ton per day. 2,700 is even less than the 3,000 people. So that's huge. While cruise vessels make up only a small percentage of the global shipping industry, it's estimated that around 24% of all waste produced by shipping comes from cruise liners. This last one that I'm going to touch on really, I mean, not that that other stuff isn't infuriating. This one really got to me. It's super sad, which is invasive species in marine life. Not that the inconceivable amount of pollution that is dumped into the ocean is not enough to put you up in arms about the cruise industry's impact on wildlife. I have much more to discuss. Another form of pollution introduced by a cruise ship is ballast water pollution. I hope I said that right. Yeah, the ballast, ballast is ships take on water in particular areas if they want to ride lower and they can release that when they want to ride higher. That's exactly it. So cruise ships 
and other big vessels use a huge amount of ballast water to stabilize the ship while traveling, like exactly like Taylor said. As these vessels travel for a longer period, the ballast water is often filled from one region and discharged in another whenever required. The amount of ballast water released typically is around 1,000 metric tons. This discharge of the ballast water from the cruise ship is a major cause of cruise pollution. Since the ballast water contains micros and and microorganisms, in addition to vegetation and other sea animals, the pollution aspect is mainly caused by the local species and marine life. An example of such ecological damage would be the huge swell of the population of jellyfish in the Black Sea. This contributes largely to the interjection and spread of invasive species. Other impacts on marine life include noise pollution, not above the water, but below the water. So you're on a cruise ship, you can hear the engines revving. Nobody wants to be in a cruise ship stateroom that's close to the engines because it'll disrupt their sleep. But being the gigantic engines required to propel these massive floating cities, which is very minimal to you, like above, to marine life, it has a huge impact. The sound reverberates through the water for really long distances since noise travels further in water and it's so loud, which has a huge impact on animals. And I'm just going to touch on mostly big marine animals in this, but it does also have a huge impact on the smaller ones as well. I'm not forgetting them. They just have more studies done on the bigger ones, such as whales and dolphins. They're extremely dependent on sound for basic life function. Most use echolocation to hunt their prey, communicate with others in their pack, or just species for many reasons, including mating, navigating the oceans, etc. Even just getting out a call to the other members of its pod that there's danger or something like that. If the ocean is so full of noise, it makes it harder for them to hunt, migrate, and talk to each other. Population of whales and dolphins has declined in areas prone to such noise pollution from ships. It can also dislocate movement of marine animals to new locations as they aren't being able to communicate and use echolocation the same, so they'll find themselves in a completely different location that they didn't intend to. Deaths can occur due to hemorrhages um, and the impact of the loud noises to them. Deaths of animals can even be caused after exposure to extreme underwater noise, including sonar, which cruises also use navigating obstacles and bottom composition detection. Beachings have also been reporting in Greece, Madeira, Hawaii, Spain, and coastal U.S. areas. And I'm pretty sure the correlation was with sonar um, on that one. That's not just cruise ships. That's sonar in general. It's not just cruise ships, no. But cruise ships do... They contributed as well, as well as all the other noise. And for a hearing-based underwater group like whales and dolphins, the amount of noise pollution in their life has just completely changed how they act as a species. It's it's fairly sad. It's so sad. And like the fact that a lot of scientists now believe that a good chunk of beached whales are literally just trying to get away from the sound. Like they can't, they know it's going to kill them to get on land and they don't care at that point. And it's so, it's such a different environment to being on land. 
um, because it is generally a more quiet environment being down there, but sound also travels so much and it's so sensitive to sound. So yeah, it's not even something that I thought about before reading this and it is very sad. A blue whale can hear another blue whale at the other end of the Pacific Ocean. Like that's how loud those things are and how well they can hear. Yeah, that's super crazy. How loud are they? Or maybe it's just their hearing that's super It's a bit of both. I would have to check. It's pretty high volume, though. Yeah. It also changes their diving patterns, their migration to newer places, and damage to internal organs and overall panic response to foreign sounds, just like Taylor said. For example, there is a mass stranding of giant squids in the coastal areas of Spain between 2001 and 2003, just of the implications of noise pollution. And then here's my little thing about the small guys in the ocean. It's not much. There's much more research done on whales and dolphins. They're a little easier to study. But in 2017, a study found that a loud blast of underwater noise killed nearly two thirds of zooplankton in three quarters of a mile on either side. Zooplankton, while incredibly small, provide a food source for everything from whales to sh- shrimp. Krill, a tiny crustacean vital to whales and other animals, can be especially hard and their hearing is just as sensitive. So they're just very fragile environments that we're screwing with with these cruise ships. Anything to add on that one? No, we're... It's about to get sadder. Oh, good. The cruise industry has a huge impact on marine life, as I'm really trying to hit home with, I guess, because I've repeated that a lot. And even more shockingly, there are as many deaths of marine life caused by the carelessness of operators of these ships. I came across some pretty disturbing pictures here. So I'm going to tell you a few stories. The first one I'm going to tell you of is a humpback whale named Snow. And she was a 45-foot pregnant humpback whale who was first identified by researchers in 1975. According to passengers and crew on board a Princess cruise ship, everyone was excited that they had spotted humpback whales in Glacier Bay, Alaska in July 12, 2001. The whales were on a direct course to intersect with the ship. The Dawn Princess continued to accelerate from 16 miles per hour and did not change course. One whale dove down in the other did not and they were not seen again after that. Some reports of feeling the ship shudder were made and there were no reports made to the National Park Service or any other agency and there is no made in the ship's log. Seeing a whale on a ship is a huge deal. They make announcements especially on cruise ships where that is a major Thing that people are looking out for so for it to not made it into ship's logs i know i've gone on whale watching tours even on ferries around here they'll announce when there's orcas they'll announce but there are protocols when there are whales in the area i believe they fly certain flags if there's a whale in the area i can't remember exactly what it was they were telling us what it was but there's protocols and maybe they're new i don't know how new it is but yeah snow was found dead 16 july 2021 with a massive skull fracture consistent with being struck by a ship and by the way humpbacks are endangered princess cruise lines paid seven hundred and fifty thousand to settle charges that it failed to operate its ships in a safe manner near protected waters of glacier 
Bay National Park. And one more for the famed Princess Cruise Lines for killing marine life. It's not that funny, but it is murder. The Grand Princess 2017 pulls into Ketchikan, Alaska with a carcass of a humpback whale on its bow. Oh, no recollection or idea of how it got there and everybody was dumbfounded. It was actually the second time in a short period of time that this happened and just the year before, Holland America's Zandam did the very same thing. Just pulled up with a whale on the bow of the ship. I did actually see a picture of this. It was pretty disturbing. Yeah, I don't want to see no, that No, I'm not going to share it. Not only just because it crashes our whole thing, but it's disturbing. Yeah, so that's my part on um, pollution and just general atrocities by the cruise industry. Okay, thank you for the moral implications of cruise industries hit on the biome. Just a couple things I wanted to hit on. Cruise industries have obviously been very hard hit over COVID, which led me to see crazy rumor stories that the U.S. has bailed out cruise ship companies, which an article on USA Today says is a mostly false rumor. Mostly. When it turns out, Carnival never publicly and as far as they know privately requested a bailout, but they did sell $6 billion in bonds to the U.S. Federal Reserve. Mm, okay. Which means they basically got a $6 billion loan. No idea what the interest rate is on it or if they'll ever have to pay it back. Cool. Yeah. Not only are they avoiding taxes, the U.S. government is giving them a little bit of cash back to make sure they stay afloat in these trying times. And let's face it, they are an absolute typhoid Mary of the pandemic. (laughs) I like what you did there. They are. After learning all this, is there anything that we can do about this? Well, first and foremost, if you're looking to take a vacation... I personally, after reading all this, would prefer that everybody not get on a cruise ship. There are many better ways to spend your vacations by visiting the next town over, doing a staycation, or flying to a town that you've never been to. Stay off the water, if not at least for the nice whales, to have a nice time. Yeah, there's tons of other ways to have a vacation and not put it towards this industry that is exploiting everything. Humans, animals... Oceans. If you absolutely have to take a cruise, may I suggest the Pride of America? It is the only cruise ship that has the U.S. flag as its flag, if not convenience, its registration. All right, how many stars are on it? Are we sure? It would be. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure. It's actually a weird story because it's Norwegian Cruise Lines that owns it because the company that built it went under. And for it to register in the U.S., it needed to be built in the U.S. But the company that was building it went under. And to finish it off, they actually sent it to Germany to get all the insides finished up and then sent it back. And they still considered it American built so it could register. It mostly does cruises in and around Hawaii. So if you're looking to do a cruise, I would highly recommend that one as they have to abide by all American laws. That doesn't seem that bad. There's also something that I found for Friends of the Earth. Um, They have a cruise report card that you can go through all of the different categories, sewage treatment, air pollution reduction, water quality compliance, transparency, criminal violations. It is, and perhaps we can post it up, Friends of the Earth which is foe.org 
org slash cruise dash report dash card. And it has all that information on there as well, broken down by cruise lines. And if you do end up on a cruise and anything goes wrong, I would urge you to first off see a lawyer, but there are also other avenues of reach out. Internationalcruisevictims.org does have a lot of resources to help you get through any issues you may be having with the industry. And with that, I think we can uh, wash our hands of this dirty industry. Yes, we can. Any parting thoughts, Chelsea? As with everything, I mean, corporations are corporations, but the only way to do anything with these things is to stop buying it. really just take its funds away but i mean so many people don't know the problems that are associated with these corporations and cruise lines are another one of them i know we've done a few on different corporations and it's just you look at this information you go oh that's so appalling that they could operate that like that yet it's something that's so popular to do and it just keeps growing part of it is is because They don't really have any legislation that they need to follow or regulation. And it's hidden very well. They can offer significantly cheaper vacations compared to just flying to one place and staying there the entire time. I know a lot of cities are now getting wise to cruise ships and are now saying that we don't let cruise ships dock. Or if they dock, we don't let any of the tourists out. Or if the tourists can go out, they're limited to very specific regions of the city that they can go to or very particular beaches. I did read... Another thing, and this probably isn't the time to bring it up, about cruise ships bullying ports for raising taxes. They threatened to pull out of the ports entirely so that the ports make very little money, if any money, which goes along kind of with what wages they're paying their workers. And they have such a impact on what they push to passengers on board as far as where they go when they get off the ship. Yeah, they get a very large commission for people going on very specific tours. And then people will pay off the cruise line for them to recommend that tour, if not one directly off. Cruise ships have been famous for even building their own islands so that they don't have to stop at a port of call to give a port money or... I believe that it was Belize where they would come off the cruise ship and it was a major thing when they got off the cruise ship, they were kind of all herded over to this boardwalk where they could buy things and the cruise line had developed a little bit and invested half of the boardwalk therefore they regained all of the entry the port taxes that they paid gaining it back from the increase because of this boardwalk it's just like the labor laws and stuff that they're getting around they kind of strong arm the little communities that are poor and rely on the the tourism that they bring in And especially with the bigger cities, they don't really... Yeah, it's nice to have those 10,000 people stop in for a day or two, but it's not like that vital at the end of the day to the city. They can eventually say no, like buzz off, you're destroying our our tourism you're destroying our beaches you're destroying our waterways get the hell out of here at the smaller towns like their economies are built around these things stopping in yeah i mean who's really gonna give a crap about a city that they're stopping in for five hours (laughs) or so when you're getting off you're gonna treat it like a garbage can too and it's just i mean it it the cruise is symbolism for that because they just, I mean, it's not doing any good for the environments that they're stopping in. Hell, this episode draws a lot of parallels with the Panama Papers episode. It does. Because at the end of the day, they're small island nations 
that outside of this revenue don't really have anything. It's true. Yeah. So they take both. Yeah. And they just get pushed around. But that's, I think, all we have. Everybody can get back to their happy lives. Hopefully cruise-free, but we'll see from here. Next week, we're going to be talking about time slips, which is a fun little fringy topic in itself that you can listen to at any point in time, preferably earlier for the numbers. If you are a company or industry that has just listened to this, and has its own seedy underbelly that it worries might be exposed. Please remember that we are looking for advertisers. And if you don't want us to do an episode, you're more than welcome to advertise. And I thought I had something clever to say, but I didn't. Okay. You should edit that out. No, I think you can okay. stay. <laughs> In the meantime, I have been Taylor. I have been Chelsea. And we have been Journey to the Fringe. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time. Bye.